following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning. Welcome to uh, the beginning of celebrating Advent season. Uh, We are going to look in Daniel. Uh, And believe it or not, this really is an Advent message from Daniel. Uh, And I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 7. I was going to read the whole chapter, but I think I'm just going to read verses 1 to 14 to start. So Daniel 7, 1 through 14. And let's, uh, let's, let's read. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked up, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured, and it broke in pieces, and it stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, on his horn were eyes, on this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and the mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Um, as, as we shared, uh, as we started Advent, uh, we, we lit this morning the, prof- the prophecy candle. And it's always a good place to start when we jump into Advent, to not jump in so much to the birth of Christ, but the prophetic announcement of Christ's coming hundreds and even thousands of years before, before that Christmas day, right? Uh, the prophets all looked for a coming Messiah. And Daniel is no exception. Uh, Daniel anticipates uh, this coming Messiah, uh, which is fulfilled in Jesus, right? And uh, the most clear place, there's a couple of places in Daniel where we see uh, this, uh, this Advent picture, this first coming of Christ, uh, Daniel, though, mostly focuses on Jesus' second coming, as we saw last week. But, uh, but there are a couple of glimpses that clearly point to Jesus' first coming, uh, his advent at Christmas. Um, and, and we see this most clearly in, in the, 
this, this phrase, son of man, right? It says that one uh, comes on the clouds like the son of man. And uh, in, in, here in Daniel chapter 7. And what's interesting is in the Gospels, this was Jesus' favorite title for himself. Uh, throughout the Gospels, over and over, he calls himself, he identifies himself as the son of man. Uh, now he was, uh, according to the Gospel and according to uh, what others called him, he is the son of God. right? But Jesus uh, almost never used that term of himself. Uh, and the couple instances where he uses the phrase son of God, he actually uses it of himself indirectly. Right? He says, well, this is people say that the son of God will do this, but he doesn't really call it himself. What he likes to call himself is the son of man. Um, now, if we've read the gospel, anybody here read the gospels? Anybody? A couple of you, a couple of times. And, you know, we read through this and Jesus says the son of man will do this and the son of man will do that. And we kind of think, oh, we don't really know what it means, Right. Uh, because it's not an obvious title. Right? It's not like the Son of God. The Son of God says something very clear and specific, that he's descendant from God. He comes from heaven. But what does he really mean by Son of Man? Right? Um, it was a title that I think Jesus used partly because it was hidden, because people didn't get it, and it didn't call a lot of attention to it. Right? He could use this title and it could be just, well, of course, you know, we're all, by the way, we're all sons of man, Unless you're a daughter, then you're a daughter of man, right? We're all, it just means we're human, right? And so it, it's a kind of a generic term. And it, it, uh, people didn't really get it. In John 12, 34, it says, So the crowd answered Jesus and said, We have heard from the law that the Christ, the Messiah, remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Right? They don't know. They're confused by what he means by this title and who this is. Uh, and mostly they miss the point altogether. So Jesus uses this as kind of a cryptic or secret way to uh, code or to communicate some truth about himself, but it's not obvious, right? And unless you really know what's going on in Daniel chapter 7, you won't know what this means, right? So uh, the reason I saved, I, I kind of took this out of order and I saved chapter 7 for today is because I want to introduce Advent with this, uh, un unpacking this idea of the Son of Man. Why did Jesus use that? And, and what did he mean by it? Right? What was this significant? What was he trying to say about himself by using this title? Well, we'll, we'll get to that, but let's jump into the, the kind of the, the vision. Okay, Daniel's having another vision. This is his second vision. Now, we've been through the book, uh, and so we've seen a lot of his visions, but this is actually the second one that he gets. Uh, and it says, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, uh, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Uh, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Now, I want you to try to picture this. Now, I don't know, I'm a pretty visual person, and I don't know why. It doesn't say this in the text, but I picture a dark sea at night. Now, now you're, if you want to picture a sea in the daytime, uh, go ahead. But what's important is that it says the four winds are, are stirring up this, up this sea, right? So this is a, a sea that's being churned up. It's in turmoil and chaos. And so you can picture out in the middle of the sea, maybe in the darkness, where the waves are, are breaking and crashing, and it's in turmoil. And, it, and, and the sea here really represents the world we live in, Right? This is not a lovely, peaceful, calm day on the beach where the waves are gently rolling in. This is a sea that's in turmoil and chaos. Right? It's a troubled sea. It is not a calm and peaceful sea. It is, it is a sea that's uh, being ripped one way and the other. Right? And it really does describe the world we live in. Right? We live in a world that's in turmoil, where there are wars and rumors of wars and conflicts and, and political tensions. Even countries that claim to be peaceful nations are really on the verge of civil war, if not with guns, certainly in terms of ideas and, 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 and differences, huge differences, vast differences between how people see the world and how they think the world should be run. Right? We, are, we are living in this, in this world that's in turmoil. And that's what the sea pictures, right? And uh, I could go on with lots of illustrations, but I'll just invite you to just read the news, watch the news, right? And, and this describes it. Um, and out of this, this scene, this turmoil, chaos, stirred up 
uh, troubled sea comes these four beasts, right? Now, if you've been with us uh, uh, through the book of Daniel, the whole four thing should kind of be like, ah, Daniel likes the number four, right? Uh, it started in chapter two with his first uh, Nebuchadne- Nebuchadnezzar's vision of this great statue. Remember his statue? And it represented four kingdoms, and it was made of four different kinds of metal, gold at the head all the way down to clay and iron at the feet. And um, so there's four, right? Four kingdoms. And of course, we just looked in chapters 10 through 12 with these four kings and kingdoms who come, right? And so uh, a, a quick thinking person would think, wow, I wonder if these four beasts relate. Well, if you think that, you're right, right? It's, it's the same, right? Same, same picture. This is kind of a theme through the book of Daniel. These four kings or kingdoms. And uh, these four beasts are four... It's in, in, the, in verse 17, uh, the angel interprets it. He says, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. And we've talked about this at length. It's uh, most likely Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, or some version of an end times Rome. Um, and so we're not going to unpack that. We've talked about that quite a bit at length. Uh, but what I really want to focus on from this vision is not so much who they are, but what they represent, right? Uh, here, they're given graphic images, right? And these are, these are not images that would, like Daniel's having a dream, right? If you had a dream like this, this would not be a comfortable, peaceful dream. This would be more in the category of nightmare, right? Because even though three of the, of the beasts are, are actual animals, they're twisted. They're, they're not natural. They're terrifying and grotesque, right? Because they're, they're bizarre, right? The first was like a lion. Okay, that's okay. And had eagle's wings. Oh, that's kind of okay. But it's not anything natural, right? But then the wings are plucked off. Kind of a gruesome sight, right? And he gets stood up to be like a man. It's, it's weird, right? It's weird. And then it gets worse, right? The second vision is a bear, and, but it's raised up on one side. It's, it's lopsided, right? It's this grotesque, deformed bear that's lopsided. But even better yet, he's sitting there with three ribs in his, in his teeth, right? And these aren't ribs of a goat or a lamb. They're people ribs, right? And he's told, arise and devour flesh. <laughs> okay, now this is freaky, right? This is, this is not a peaceful dream. This is a nightmare, this is a horrible creature, right? Then the third one, a leopard. Okay, a leopard's a little bit back to more normal. But this leopard has four wings of a bird on its back and four heads. <laughs> okay, again, not, not your normal creature you see at the zoo, right? It's, it's creepy. It's freaky. It's not normal, right? Uh, and, and dominion was given to it. And then the last one. The last one is so bad it doesn't even look like any creature, it's just called a beast, right? It doesn't look like anything that Daniel could, could compare it to. It was terrifying, dreadful, and exceedingly strong. Great iron teeth, okay? Uh, I've seen some movies. I think there's a James Bond movie where this guy has iron teeth, right? It's creepy. It's creepy. Here's a bear, I mean this monster, this beast with iron teeth. And the picture is that they can't be easily broken. They are made to crush Right, and and it devoured, and it broke in pieces, and it stamped what was left with its feet. This is a horrible image. Okay, here's an image of this beast that comes along, and the first thing it does with its iron teeth is it bites your head off. Right, and then if that's not enough, it it breaks what's left in pieces. But that's not even enough, because after that it takes and stamps with its feet what's left. Is this a picture of a terrifying creature that's out to crush and destroy everything, right? And it goes on that it, it had this freaky ten horns, and uh, one came along later that ripped up the first three horns, and uh, it had eyes of a man and mouth speaking great, great things, okay? So this is a nightmare, right? Uh, what can be said? And so, so rather than talking about who they are, what I want to talk about is what they are like. And what, what Daniel's describing here, what this vision is describing, is that the kings and kingdoms of the earth are beastly. Beastly. Right? They are terrifying. They are monsters. Right? And it pictures men who are kings 
but men who have really been turned into beasts. Devouring, dreadful, terrifying, breaking in pieces. Right? These are not nice people. They are monsters. Right? And that's what can be said of them. And there are monsters who, uh, who are crushing people to gain power and dominion. Um, this, this word dominion, it means to have power, authority, control over someone, right? To, to dominate somebody is to, is to exercise great power over them and to control them. But it's important that this, to see that this word dominion actually was first used in Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2 to describe God's purpose and call for humanity, right? Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. God created us and designed the world as a place where we would exercise dominion. Right? But the dominion that God gave man in, in, in the garden in, in Genesis chapter 1 was not to crush and kill and destroy, Right? but to be stewards of, of what God had created. Stewards of the garden, stewards of all the creatures, the animals, the birds, the fish, the, everything that he made, we were to, as, as, uh, as rulers, to shepherd and care for this gift that God gave us. Right? That's, what, that's what the original idea of dominion uh, was to be. We, yes, we had authority, we had power over creation, but we were to use that power for its good and its benefit, to shepherd and care for it. But here we see that humanity, instead of being shepherds who care for God's gift, have become wolves and monsters that devour and destroy. And that's, uh, of course, we know is the effect of sin. Right? When Adam and Eve turned away from God and with their own path, chose their own way, chose the path of sin, um, that dominion was corrupted. Right? It was turned upside down. And so now instead of using power as a tool uh, to do good things, power becomes a goal and objective in itself. Right? Uh, power can be a good thing if it's used as a tool for a good purpose. Right? For example, um, one of the most raw and pure forms of power we have in our world today is electricity. Right? It's just, electricity is just pure power. And it can have a lot of good purposes and functions, right? I, I love that there's lights this morning, that I don't have to scream. You can actually hear me because this is it's power, right? It's picking up my voice and it's amplifying it with more power. Power, right? Uh, it's a good thing, right? Uh, we use it as a tool for, for communication. It's what drives the information age. It's what makes us possible now to use AI and make up things that aren't even true. It's, it's a great. It's a great tool, right? Um, drives the information age, and now it even drives our cars as people are going to electric cars, right? So, so power can be a good tool, but it's, it's not something we're to hoard or pile up for its own sake, right? If we were to take this huge amount of power and just hoard it for its own sake, it no longer becomes a tool, it becomes a weapon, right? So you can use nuclear power to make electricity, but you can store nuclear energy in a bomb and use it to uh, make yourself superior to control others, to dominate others, right? And that's what, that's what this is a picture of, is humanity, right? We, we have taken God's good gifts, even power and dominion, and we have used it now to bolster ourselves, to hoard it so that we can be more in control and dominate others. Not to bless and help others, but to dominate them, to have power over them, right? Um, so... Uh, and of course, here it's talking about world leaders, and we can all claim, "Well, I'm not a world leader," although some of you are c- close to dictators, right? <laughs> In your realm of influence, maybe, right? It's like, well, we're not world leaders, but but this is really a picture of humanity. World leaders are like this only because humanity is like this. It's just that they have greater opportunities because they rose higher up the ladder. But this is who we are as people. Right? We've been given this dominion to do good things, but we've turned it upside down. So parents have dominion over their children, right? partly because they're just bigger, smarter, wiser. A little one-year-old needs parents to take 
charge of their life, to care for them and shepherd them. And so when parents use that dominion, that power for the good and benefit of their children to provide and protect, that's a good thing. But if parents use it to crush their kids and to dominate them, that's, that's a bad thing. Well, and that's the picture of these kings and rulers. They're, they're rulers who have uh, used their power not to benefit those they rule, but to, to control and dominate and crush. Right? And um, it's true of these four particular kingdoms, but if we look around us, it's true of governments in general. Uh, right? Governments in general. I just uh, heard this fascinating podcast called What Topples Democracy? Uh, and it talked about this, this lady who studies democracy. And they say that right now, right now today, there are 50, over 50 countries in the world where democracy is, is at risk of being uh, toppled, right? Now, I'm not saying that democracy is the savior of the world, actually. Um, but it's just fascinating that uh, the governments where you have elected leaders, uh, once they get elected... Right? It's not that these countries are not voting in leaders. They are. They're, they're voting for their leaders. But what happens when these guys get in power, which, by the way, how do they get in power? Well, they make great promises. We're going to make your life better. We're going to save you. Right? We're going to save you from those bad guys. Right? And when they get in power by democratic process, what they then try to do is dismantle all the, all the things that keep them from becoming dictators. Keep them from having absolute control and power. In this podcast, I'll let you listen to it. It's interesting. Uh, they make the case that one of those 50 countries that right now is at, is at huge risk of toppling democracy is what country? The United States. United States, right? Um, why? Because they're, they're ditching the protections that keep rulers from taking over, right? And so uh, I'll let you think about, ponder that one, right? Um, let's bring it down to just more practical stuff. That's what rulers do, but we don't do that, right? Right? Let's, let's think about this at a very practical, everyday level. Okay? Uh, if you're married or if you have a roommate, what are the things that you argue about? Like the classic ones. I don't know if this is true anymore, but it used to be the classic things people would argue about. Which end of the toothpaste tube do you squeeze, right? Do you squeeze from the end or the middle? And that, that could be a, a real hot item in a, in, a, in a marriage, right? Or which way do you put the toilet paper roll on, right? So the toilet paper comes off the front or off the back. Like, people argue about this. Well, why do people argue about this? Well, because it comes down to who gets to be in control, right? I want the world to work this way, and I want to get my way, right? Uh, now, of course, we can uh, argue about a lot of other things. Maybe the most hot topic that people argue about is money. Right? How do we spend our money? How do we use our money? But what's really, what's this really about? Do we really care that much about toilet paper? Or are we really concerned about control, power, right? Who gets to be in charge, right? In the bathroom or in the house or in, in our world, right? Um, now, of course, the higher one climbs in rank and power, the more that can be used to harm more and more people. Right? So the picture here is of these world rulers who have used power and hoarded it to dominate and crush and control people. Uh, and the goal is to keep power. Right? They're not using power as a tool. They're holding on to power, trying to get as much of it as possible. Right? Because power becomes the goal in itself. Um, and, and if you don't believe it, just again, look at the news. History is full of proof that the description of the beast and the monster is well-deserved of the human race, right? We, we have proved over and over again that we are capable of being monsters. Um, and, and this picture is one that's not very hopeful for a better world. Like if you're hoping for world peace, right? Um, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but Daniel's pretty clear that this is not going to happen. The world is never going to get better. Right? We may have more technology. We may uh, be able to live longer because we can cure more diseases or fix things. But, but humanity will, will never, as a 
as a group, get better. Right? Because we are under the curse of sin and the fall. Right? It has wrecked us. It has ruined us. We are not capable uh, of, of better. Now, some of you will say, oh yes, but there have been some very noble leaders. And maybe even today you can name some noble leaders. Uh, no, noble kings, noble prime ministers or heads of government. And that's true. Right? There have been throughout history some very good presidents and prime ministers and kings. But there has never been a kingdom or nation that uh, has such enduring and unchanging love and goodness. Okay, right? Name a nation that after decades and, and centuries could be characterized as always being a nation of love and goodwill. Right? Anybody have one? Anybody? Anybody? No. Right? Because uh, where good leaders may come along, peoples are terrible. Right? In the end, we are, uh, as he describes here, we are beasts. We are monsters. Right? Being led by monsters. Uh, and of course it ends, and we talked about this last week, it ends, it climaxes with this one great ruler at the end, the most beastly of all, the Antichrist, uh, who will uh, ultimately trample. And he, and he will bring his war not only against the world as he seeks to destroy everything, but specifically, it says in verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the laws and they shall be given into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. We talked about this a little bit last week, but it serves to say it again. The main goal of the beast, the spinal beast especially, is to put an end to worship. Right? Putting an end to uh, the times and the laws. Probably reference is reference to times of worship, the, the festival times of religious calendars. Right? The goal is to destroy, but ultimately to destroy worship, and that's why for us worship needs to be something so important. Right? Um, and this little beast, this little horn, will, will seek to, to crush the saints, most of all, and to put an end to the worship of the true and living God. So this all looks bad. It is bad. It's a nightmare. But then instantly, for Daniel, the scene changes. And there's, there's a better picture that comes along. And that picture is in verse 9. He says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment. The books were opened. Right? Um, and the Ancient of Days cast the, the beast into, into the fire. Right? There's judgment, right? Um, uh, the, the, the description of the Ancient of Days is, uh, speaks obviously of one who's really old. <laughs> Some people may think that of me, <laughs> Ancient of Days. Somebody who's old, who's been around a long time. Of course, the Ancient of Days for God means eternal, right? And he's wearing white clothes, which is a picture of, of goodness, righteousness, and holiness. Uh, he's got this flowing mane of white hair, which again pictures age and wisdom. And these thrones are placed. And this is not your typical throne that's like a chariot. This is actually a chariot throne, uh, which in ancient times was, was not un, uncommon, where a king would judge, not just on a throne, but from a chariot. And this is a chariot of fire, right? Its wheels are on fire. F- flame is pouring out from before it because it's, it's a picture of judgment. A judgment, right? Um, and, and then finally it says the books were opened. So this Ancient of Days judges, uh, but doesn't judge based on his opinion or whether he likes somebody or doesn't like somebody, but books are open. And in these books are recorded the actions of, of men and women, the actions of people. And he actually judges based on how these people have, what, what they have done. And ultimately, how they've treated other people. Right? If they've been oppressive, if they use power to crush and dominate, instead of to build up and to help, they will be judged. Right? 
And so it says, then I looked and, and because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. So all this time as the thrones are set, this little horn is spewing his venom, speaking blasphemies against God. And as he's speaking his hate and his rage, it says, as I looked, the beast was killed. Boom. Judgment falls. The beast was killed, its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Just like that, it's done. Right, it's done. Uh, it says also in verse 24, As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. shall think to change the times and the laws. But verse 26, But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. In other words, utterly. Utterly. Right? Um, so God will come, he will sit, and he will judge the beasts. Right? He will judge all humanity. But ultimately he will judge these evil rulers, every one of them. Not just these four, but every king, every ruler, every governor, every prime minister will be judged before the judgment seat of God. But there's more. It says, then it says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There's our phrase we've been trying to get to for all this, right? One came like the son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, this is actually a picture. So the first scene is one of judgment, of a courtroom. But now that the king, the beast, the bad king has been destroyed, there's, there's now a vacancy. Right? And so the second scene is a coronation scene where the Son of Man is presented to the Ancient of Days, and he is presented with a kingdom. In fact, he's, he's presented with all kingdoms, with ultimate dominion and authority forever and ever. Right? And in the trans, in, as the, the angel in verse 15 explains the vision, he says this way, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, at, and the visions of my head alarmed me. And I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of things. He said, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Right? Uh, in verse 26, we read again, the court shall sit in judgment, and the, the, uh, the beasts will be judged, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, and his kingdom, that is the Son of Man's kingdom, shall be an everlasting kingdom. Right? So repeatedly we get this picture, this coronation. Right? Um, the Son of Man will be presented to the Ancient of Days and he will get the kingdom. And this kingdom will not be destroyed. It will last forever. And if forever is not long enough, it says forever and ever. <laughs> okay, so trying to emphasize like forever. Like not just kind of a long time, but like forever, forever. And ever. Get the picture? Forever. Got that? Right. That's what he's trying to say. So, uh, so it ends well, right? It ends good. And we get this picture of the Son of Man who, who reigns, right? So, so the question is what, you know, and Jesus picked up on this title, right? Jesus said, I am, you know, he calls himself the Son of Man. Uh, what, what is about the Son of Man that Jesus was communicating? Now we kind of got this picture, the vision. Uh, what did he mean by it? Well, um, if we didn't, if we didn't, if we took this story and we didn't really understand the rest of the Bible and who kind of the character of God, if we just looked at this, and this was the first time we'd really been introduced to God or judgment or whatever, um, it would be really easy to think, okay, so you got these four beasts, they're bad guys who are power hungry, who just want to crush and dominate, and then along comes this shiny white dude, <laughs> right, who's, who's older, 
and significantly more powerful, who crushes them so that he can so that he can have dominion. Right? So, like, how is this any different, right? How is this God any different? How is he not just a beast like the other beasts, right? How is he not just a God who just power hungry and just wants to, to dominate and crush like everybody else, right? It'd be really easy to read this and kind of get this impression. Uh, is the Son of Man just like them? Is he just one more beast, only he's just shinier, right? Um, what does it mean, the Son of Man? What does it what does it mean that he has more power and he can just overthrow whoever he wants? But does that make does that make it right? Does it, does it make him really? What we'd say is, does it make him worthy to rule? Like, should the Son of Man be king forever and ever and ever? What if he's just one more monster? Right? And that's kind of bad news for all of us. Right? So, so what, what does this tell us about? why the Son of Man is worthy. So let me give you four things why I think the Son of Man is worthy from Daniel chapter 7. Well, three are from Daniel chapter 7. One, we're going to kind of go outside of the book of Daniel. But let's just look at these four things real quick. First of all, um, he is worthy. uh, We'll start with the Ancient of Days, actually. The Ancient of Days is worthy to judge because he's a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. Right, uh, he's not just power hungry. He is all powerful. He is the most high, but he is drastically different than the monsters, than the beasts. First, he is described clothed in white, with with this flowing white hair. This is not just decoration; it's reflective of his character as a being who is holy, who is righteous. Right? He judges based on principles of truth. And justice. Now he is a terrible judge. Fire, fire. His, you know, he's on this fiery throne. Fire issues forth from him. When he judges, he burns with fire. He judges with fire. He's terrible in his power. But his just, his judgment is always based on principles of justice and truth. Right? He's not power hungry. Instead, he is hungry for what is right and good and true. Right? God is not power hungry. He is hungry for righteousness. And he is insistent that, that justice is handed out. Uh, books are open. He judges based on facts. Right? He judges based on how these people have, have treated others. Did they deal with compassion and love, caring for the best interests of others? Or were these people selfish and greedy, using others to serve their own interests? Right? That's the basis of his judgment. Why? Because that's what's right. right? Uh, that's, that's what justice is. Right? And, and so he is different because he is not just power hungry, but he's hungry for righteousness. He is uh, judges based on, on, on true justice and righteousness. Second thing, we see that, uh, that both the Ancient of Days and, and more specifically the Son of Man are worthy of worship. Right? Worthy of worship. Right? So, again, this description of the Son of Man I saw in the night visions. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. Uh, now, that's kind of, uh, it's kind of weird. Right? What does this mean, with the clouds of heaven? Well, there's a lot we could say about clouds, and I would like to talk more about clouds, but I don't have time. But let me just say this, that, that God is the one who rides the clouds. If you look up in the sky, you can kind of look out there right now. If you can get the right view, you can see clouds out there. look awesome. I love clouds. And one of the things I love about clouds is they're outside of our realm, right? They're outside of our realm. Now, you may think, oh, no, we can fly up there. We've got airplanes. We can go fly up there, yeah? Okay, try this. Next time you're in the airplane, ask the pilot, hey, do you mind stopping? I want to check out this cloud. You mind stopping? I want to get out and kind of look around a little bit. Okay, try that. See what happens, right? They're a different realm, right? Uh, no one, like people are selling property all over. You know, you can buy houses, you can buy land, right? Is anybody selling clouds? Well, maybe somebody is, but is anybody buying them? Right? No. Why? Because they're, we can't control them. 
right? They're beyond us. Even though we can see them, even though we can fly through them, they're outside of our realm of power, our, our realm of dominion. They're the dominion of God. And so God rides the clouds. They are his chariot. And when it says that the Son of Man comes uh, on the clouds, it means he comes with God-like being and authority. Right? This is one, it's a, it's a way of describing that the Son of Man is God. Right? It's using language that would describe God. And the Son of Man comes as one who is God-like. Right? Um, uh, he comes as one who is divine, who is God, who is equal in every way to the ancient of days. Um, secondly, uh, it, he also uh, will be worshipped by peoples and nations and tongues. Right? So in verse 13, I saw in the sight vision, and behold, comes with the clouds of heaven, one like uh, uh, the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him and was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve or, or worship him. This word serve has this idea of worship. Right? He is worthy of worship. Nowhere in, in Scripture ever, ever, does Scripture say that we should worship a, a person. Right? David was king, he was to be honored. David was never to be worshipped. Solomon was, was glorious in his kingship. He was never to be worshipped. Right? Uh, even the angels. Daniel has this experience, right? And, and some of the other prophets too, where they're so in awe of the angels, they bow down and they want to worship the angels. And even the angels go, no, 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 don't worship, don't worship us. There's only one worthy of worship, and that is who? God, right? Uh, so we see that uh, two things about uh, the Son of Man. He comes with the nature and character and being of one who is God, and he is worshipped as God. Right? And, and so he is worthy because he is God. Right? He is one with God. He has the same nature and authority as the Ancient of Days. And so when Jesus uses this title, he is claiming to be God. Uh, now, it went by most people. But if you understand Daniel 7, when Jesus said, I'm the Son of Man, he's not saying, I'm just some guy. He's saying, no, I, I'm one. In fact, uh, he quotes this in, in, as, when he's before the scribes and Pharisees when he's on trial. He says, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with glory. Okay? Uh, and, and that's why they killed him. They said, why do we need any more proof? This is blasphemy. He is claiming to be God. And that's why they sent him to the cross, right? Um, so so here's, a, here's one question, though. How can one who is God be presented to the Ancient of Days? Right? If the Son of Man is God and the Ancient of Days is God, how is this possible, right? Well, of course, this is one of the Old Testament glimpses of the Trinity, right? People who say there's no Trinity in the Old Testament need to read Daniel, right? Because here's a clear picture of uh, of, of the Ancient of Days, the Father who's sitting as judge and the Son of Man who's presented before him uh, as king, both sharing the divine nature, but they're two distinct persons. Uh, the Son of Man is not the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is not the Son of Man. They are separate and distinct persons, but together they have the same nature, the same unity of being, same will and purpose and heart. They are together one true God. Can you understand that? One being, three persons, I don't understand it either, right? But it's true, right? And here's a glimpse of it in the Old Testament. So Jesus, when he uses this phrase, he's claiming deity. He's claiming to be the Messiah, the coming king who would receive this eternal kingdom, who by his holy divine nature is worthy, right? But if we stop there, um, we still haven't proved that this God is really that much different, that he's not just another bully like the rest, right? Um, so the third thing, real quick, uh, we see that, uh, that this kingdom that's presented to the Son of Man is a kingdom that he gives away. Okay, this is remarkable, right? And I'll read these three real quick. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but this is what it says. He says, uh, he's presented to the Ancient of Days, and, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, 
Okay, so clearly the Son of Man is given the kingdom for all eternity. But then in the other two descriptions of this kingdom, notice what it says. In verse 17, uh, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. You hear that? The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Not the Son of not the Son of Man, but the saints. Right? Verse twenty seven The greatness of the kingdoms of the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, and his, that is the Son of Man's kingdom, shall be an everlasting kingdom. Right? This is amazing. The king and the saints are so connected, so united, he is so much for them that his kingdom is their kingdom. The kingdom he receives is the kingdom they receive. The dominion and power and glory that he has is their dominion, power, and glory. So this is not a king who's grabbing power to crush people underfoot. Rather, he is a receiving a kingdom to share it with the saints. Right? So different than the beast. So different. Right? He's nothing like them. But last and finally, most, and most importantly of all, uh, the fourth reason that the Son of Man is worthy is, uh, is, is really in the title Son of Man. What, what did Son of Man actually mean? Right? It says the coming of the clouds is Son of Man. Well, uh, literally, it just means it's a, it's a human. Right? Uh, one commentator says this, the effect of the idiom is to intensify the quality in question so that Son of Man lays stress on his humanity. Okay, what's shocking about this is that after describing these kings who were so horrible that they were beasts, you would expect that God would say, never again am I letting people, a human being, a man, touch this dominion because they just wreck it. Right? I'm pulling back and the deal's off. I'm not letting people t- take charge anymore. But instead it says, one like the Son of Man, right? And it's this picture of, of Jesus in his humanity. He is called the Son of Man because not only is he fully God, but he is fully human. Right? And that's, that's what the incarnation means, right? The incarnation means uh, John 1. And the, and the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. God took on human flesh. He became a a person. And, And this is who is worthy to receive the kingdom. Why is he worthy? Two things. First of all, uh, he is worthy because this dominion was originally given to man in creation. We saw that in Genesis 1, right? It is our right to have this dominion, even though we messed it up. Right? God designed the world so that we would rule. Uh, and we ruined it. We have turned it upside down. Uh, sin has turned us into beasts who destroy everything, if not individually, then certainly corporately as a, as a, as a race. Right? In order for God to restore creation to his original purpose and design, it was right and good and worthy that it should be a man who receives this dominion again. And Jesus becomes the ultimate perfect man, the fulfillment of everything God intended for us to be, so that he could have dominion, so that he could shepherd God's creation. And in him as our representative head, we all regain that right to rule and to shepherd what God has made. Uh, so, so he needed to be human to fulfill God's original design and creation. But lastly, and most importantly, right, it says that, that it's, the, it's the saints who, saints of the Most High who share this kingdom. What does it mean to be a saint? Well, it doesn't mean that you have a halo. <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean you glow in the dark. Uh, it means that you have been sanctified. You have been a person who has been made holy. How are we made holy? Well, we know from, and again, this is jumping outside of the book of Daniel, 
But we know from the Gospels and from the New Testament that we are made holy by the blood of Christ. Jesus became human ultimately so he could go to the cross and there die in our place and take the physical punishment of sin that was possible only as a man. Um, And so... uh, Let me just read as we close from Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to take communion in just a minute. And and, uh, as we prepare for communion, just let me read from Revelation chapter 5. Why the Son is worthy. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. And they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders Uh, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.